Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than Stand Up. I'm Brent Lamont. Joining me today, we're just going to call it, it's the leadership team within enablement operations. I've got friends of the pod, Teresa Kramer and Jesse Marchand. And they're not going to wave. They're not going to say hi. It's fine. It's Hello, totally Brent. cool. I, okay. Good to see you again. Right? Yes. It's all good, right? I've and we're not friends? All, I've seen them all today. Robin's going to have to wait for a second. So also joining soon-to-be friends Okay. as part of the Enablement Operations team, we've got a Amy Evans and Robin Bittner. Hello. 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 Okay. So, you know, this is going to be the craziest one to edit, I think, of the year. Uh, in this iteration, we're starting a series on leadership in Agile, and this first episode is going to focus on what is servant leadership and how do leaders provide it. We're breaking the model again because this is going to be a meaty topic and we want to have people be here for a long time. So I don't know how long this episode is going to be. So the first question is, what does servant leadership mean to you? And I'm going to start with my friends who've been here before. I'm going to start with Teresa. Teresa, what does servant leadership mean to you? Uh, servant leadership to me is about being there for the team, what is best for the team, their development, and helping them be as successful in the context of the organization as I can help them be. Um, so it's less about telling and more about listening and guiding people to be them be their best self within the organization okay mr marchand would you like to add or in addition yeah absolutely so a phrase about leadership that's that's always uh, stayed with me is is about basically taking people to a new place where they wouldn't have gone by themselves and and if you start with that premise and and the leader is ultimately there to change the trajectory then it ultimately becomes a question of well what, how do you change that trajectory and i'm a big believer in in setting up the right systems and culture and uh having that perspective that leadership gives you which is a more end-to-end -end one typically um that allows you to to help people enable them uh, themselves in, in many cases. Uh, and so to me, leadership is, is really about setting up the right environment for people to do their best. Okay. Amy. Yeah. So um, kind of going off of what both Jesse and Teresa said, but I, I have often thought of servant leadership um, as kind of being on the balcony and having that high level view of what's going on in the organization and helping to shepherd folks on my team and in, into areas that might make them a little uncomfortable so that they can stretch themselves. Um, I like to kind of sometimes call myself as the backseat driver and um, setting them on the path, but um, course correcting as we go a little bit in helping them to understand some of the larger context and helping set some of that context in frame, but then let them have the experiences of their own. And then having follow-up conversations with them on, on, you know, what did they learn? What did they experience? How can they take that away? Um, I don't necessarily though see it as within our organizational context. I, I like to really push people to think outside of our organization. 
how does this apply to to you as an individual trying to move in your career? Either you know where they are in in their level and they just want to expand their level, or where do they want to see themselves, and what does that look like? And and maybe that's not in this organization, and that's okay. But how do we get you there, and how do we make it to that next step, and how can I put you in the opportunity to help you develop those skills? Okay. Last but not least, Robin. Yes, what they said. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Ditto. Ditto always works. Ditto. Yep. Sounds good. As the friends. So Amy's now spoken, so she's not a friend of the podcast. So what the (laughs) friends have said. (laughs) Uh, One of the elements I might offer to add in, on addition to what's already been, you know, uh, noted, is that uh, I've I've aspired to in my attempt to practice servant leadership to create space for folks to be able to do the things that they're very good at, as well as helping them develop into things that they'd like to be good at. And so for that, it's me stepping back, clearing the forest, if you will, to create the space for the folks to do the work that, that they'd like to do when and need to do, but um, providing that clarity of direction as best as possible, which sometimes folks want to have very specific guidance around direction, but you might not know that, but giving as much as you can to say, this is a direction that we're going, here's the things that we need to do. And then really, really striving hard to be part of the team as opposed to a leader of the team. I think uh, we all have through our historical experiences and work cultures, this sense of hierarchy, which is counter in my opinion to what servant leadership is about because servant leadership is I'm here to support you where traditionally it's, it's like you're here to support me and my objectives. And so it's trying to unthread that history of learned behavior and create that environment where people feel empowered to go out and do the things that they're here for. And by being empowered in part of that discussion, hopefully they feel that they have a better ownership and purpose and desire to see those things be successful. And I view my role as helping them achieve that successful journey transition. So I would, I would tie in with that because Amy and I share an organization that we worked at at a different time where it was, the pyramid was inverted. Your job as a manager was to, you know, hold the pyramid and help the pyramid up as opposed to everyone going upstream to you as a manager. So I'm curious, Amy, you know, do you think that servant leadership tends to be more inverted pyramid? If you, I, yes, I do. I think that if, if you're really practicing servant leadership as a leader, your role is to support the team. And I really always appreciated that mental model and that visual that that mm-hmm. organization provided because it really set the stage um, for anyone coming into the organization to know what their leader's role was, but then as a leader coming into that organization, it really helped you understand that you're here to catch people in a way. You know, you're here to support them. You're here to bring them along. You're not there to tell them what to do. You're there to shepherd them through the journey. And that as a leader, you look to them to help with success and they, they are your success. In, in, a, in that kind of a leadership position. And if it would be amazing if we could put together that kind of visual to help with our organization. And I think of our, not just the organization that we're in, but you know, really as the broader organization, that's what our jobs are. 
every day is to really support our teams and help them to be successful and, and really guide them on that journey. Well, it's interesting because we just had a conversation as part of the Our Journey series. And earlier this week, I had a recording that will be the episode preceding this, where it was our job as a coach or our job as a scrum master is to help the team realize what the customer needs are and to support the customer in doing that in whatever way we can. And I, it to me, from what it sounds like, from what all you guys have been saying, is that it's very, very similar. It's that your customer base just happens to be employees. Yeah. I was thinking about that as we were talking through this. We're all in managerial roles or have been in managerial roles. Mm -hmm. And we're speaking about this from that perspective of being managers of people, not just leaders of people. But to your point, Brent, there are other people in the organization that step into that leadership role, either naturally or out of necessity. And I'd be curious to hear other people's thoughts on opportunity for servant leadership in that context where you have possibly influence, but less control over a situation. Well, I think about a lot of the projects that we are in. Yeah. Our project managers are servant leaders. You know, they are, they are the guides of that work, of that body work. They are the guides of that team. They don't have any organizational hierarchy but their whole role is to bring that team along, connect the dots. Really, do, we don't know what the end thing is ultimately going to look like, but that's their role. And I kind of, I feel like that's probably a scrum master role as well. I mean, we're all stepping into at some point in time, a leadership role without the formal authority and, and how we manage ourselves through that is what's important. Yeah, and to, to add on to what Amy's saying, uh, one other example of that would be there may be projects, in fact, I, I know of a couple at this point, one in particular, where there is a designated leader, but yet there's more experienced individuals who are members of the team. And one of the discussions I've had recently, one of our folks is to encourage them to step into that leadership role and be that servant leader, even though you don't have the title of either the project leader, the project manager, whatever. It's simply the fact that you may have, as many of us do in these situations, one of the team members may have experience that can help the others. And so you can be a leader without having the title. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is practicing those behaviors and values and such, not only for that immediate situation, but you're also demonstrating that to the other members that you're working with on that team. And hopefully they will learn to model and replicate what you've done. And that's help, help spread the whole uh, notion of the servant leadership across that and re you know, fundamentally reinforces that cultural basis. So I will, uh, go ahead, Jesse. Yeah, this is also making me think of something that's changing in from an industry term, um, you know, maybe 10 years, 15 years back center of excellence was the term used, right? And, and now it's a term of center of enablement or enablement operations or, or whatnot. I think that also shows the sort of evolutionary thought from leadership in terms of how to help folks going from a, you know, center of excellence, everyone do this to a, hey, how can we reframe and, and rethink and ultimately help you um, become better? Mm -hmm. So let's pivot this a little bit and talk about challenges because it, when I hear all of these conversations, so, you know, I, I am an individual contributor on a team, but to some of, some of what 
my manager and my manager's manager might be saying is that I add leadership in different ways, right? So then the question is, when it comes to working with a team in that scenario, what do you think the biggest challenge to you is in guiding the process to having an individual contributor understand that they are adding value, that they are providing leadership, even though they don't have the title? Because I think a lot of individual contributors run into the issue of, I don't have that title. You know, you have people who who wrap themselves around what it says on my business card, right? So how, how do you address that? And how, what do you think that biggest challenge to you is in guiding that whole process? And I'll start with Amy this time. You were um, hoping you were hoping you were going to go last. No, I wasn't. I really wanted to hear what Robin had to say. Um, <laughs> now, there's a couple of things, and I've I've been in the situation in a couple of instances um, where tactically I've had to engage with whatever team that that individual is working with and set the stage. Um, so very tactically gone into one of the first discussions with whatever that project team was to say, you know, this is the role. Like this is, this is what my role is going to be. This is what this individual's role is going to be. And very um, intentionally put that person in that leadership role, um, you know, in the, in the broader context. So the larger team could see that. Um, and hear that message that, that that they are the person who's going to be running that project. They are the one who's going to be um, bringing the risks up as the things go along, or they're going to be the ones who are facilitating the session. And, and that's the person that when I've been even sitting in some of those project meetings, I myself will defer to them and, and really try to demonstrate that this person is the person in charge. It's not me. That, I'm just here as a team member, or I'm just here, you know, as, you know, somebody who comes in at halftime to help, you know, answer any questions, and then I leave again, you know, um, and so, I mean, for me, it's, it's been um, very intentional laying that groundwork, and then I've had to, at times, have to come back in and say, now, remembers, you know, not using those words specifically, but referring back to, this is the racy, and that's why I feel like racies are important, because um, they really, they, they give you that point in time, they give you that um, context to go back and say, remember, this was what we decided, or this is how we came into this project or this situation with so-and-so in that role. Okay. Teresa, I know you're going to have to drop because you've got another thing that you got to do, and hopefully you'll be back in time for the end of this iteration. Anything you want to throw in there before you got to go? Uh, yeah, I'd like to actually have a conversation about authentic authority versus assumed authority. Um, but to your point, I do have to drop. I touched on it lightly in uh, the last leadership discussion that we had, but I think it's a concept that's worth expanding upon. Um, because I think regardless of the hierarchy and where you are in an organization, authentic authority is the most powerful way to bring people along um, than just assuming authority. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm gonna put a pin yeah. on that. I'm gonna yeah. put a pin on that. We'll catch you in a, in a few. All right. All right, Jesse. I'm gonna take a different tact and key off something that Robin mentioned about sort of learned behaviors. 
to me, one of the biggest challenges is really just fighting the way most, if not all of us, grew up from a education slash, you know, previous working uh, ways of working experience. I, you know, those those old habits, I think, die really hard. And if you think about our education system, we're very incented to try to get things perfect. We're not as incented to, to try to experiment and, and deal with failure. And, and those things are obviously uh, very critical in, in today's world. So having that more emergent thinking or non-deterministic sort of mindset, I think are not things that are natural to us growing in the systems and the, the way that we've learned. So I think that's really hard. And, and I think we all struggle with that from, from time to time from a legacy uh, environmental perspective. See, it's funny you bring that up because I was reading just yesterday on Medium an article that talked about uh, the Agile mindset and how being versus doing and how they tied it all to the uh, education and how we've been led down this path of having to succeed, mm -hmm. right? You have to have, you have to be perfect. You have to have it 100% right. So I'm going to put that link right here. Okay. And then, uh, I think you and I need to have that conversation as a separate podcast. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> well, there's a, another quote by, by Devin around basically on the same line that I don't, remember it exactly but uh you know paraphrasing he's the <laughs> he, he had the same sort of thoughts around education yeah robin <laughs> yes brand <laughs> thoughts on on the topic as a whole so challenge in, in guiding you through the process yeah i i'd like to build on what amy had said because i was thinking roles and role definition mm -hmm. is a, is um, maybe not always the hardest, but it's in my mind one of the most critical and one of the things you have to do very much up front. Because if folks don't know what their roles are, then there's confusion, and confusion usually re, you know results in hesitation, or folks taking the initiative and running down a path and overrunning each other and you know overfunctioning. And you know historically we've in our organizations we've experienced both of those. To add on to roles, I would go and Amy actually spoke a little bit to this as the responsibilities of those roles. And so I think when I look back, certainly at a lot of the experiences I've had with teams in the business environment, as well as our own teams, getting an understanding right up front, whether it's through a RACI, uh, which is a wonderful mechanism or, you know, discussions after RACI with a person who maybe is in a role that's a stretch role that they haven't had before, setting up that support for them and then encouraging them to have the courage, again, another value to go forward and give that role and those responsibilities a go. And as Amy has mentioned, you know, she would go in and have that discussion with that individual who maybe is in a stretch or a new situation and then come back and maybe midstream and have those discussions that are supportive in nature as opposed to necessarily strictly what might be perceived as corrective, which is often looked at as bad. So having folks understand hey, I'm here to do this and it meets these other people and their roles in this way sets the stage for actually the good work to occur. That doesn't mean there's not bumps and you have to be there to support. And to Jesse's point, you know, uh, billing on what I said earlier, there's these innately 
cemented perspectives and perceptions and behaviors through the way that we've been, you know, cultured up through our experiences that guide us in that. And so we as leaders need to be there to help, particularly if it's a different situation, guide that individual through that, reassure them, encourage them, nurture them, help them through the bumps so that they build the muscle memory of how to fulfill that role and those responsibilities, and then can step forward without having to have a higher level of support. And that's where you really build this um, replication capability where leaders begat leaders who have this, you know, authentic leadership, as Teresa had mentioned, skills and experience that as you start to see that replicating, that's when you really get that cultural shift and you see this starting to become, well, this is just the way we are and this is the way we work, which is where you'd really like to get to. So I wanted to throw in a, a comment here. This is probably one of the few times within the 90 plus episodes that we've had on this podcast where we have mentioned a racy. So notice if you look for racy in uh, the manifesto, you're not going to find it. If, you find, if you're looking for it on Scrum Guide, you're not going to find it. So for those who don't know, RACI is for responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. And it's to say what part you play in an or in a conversation, in a project, in an organization. So I had to throw that out there because somebody may be going, what are they talking about? Okay. Mm -hmm. So Brent, maybe just yes, as sir. a visual on that to add in. And, yeah. and Amy's, I, I defer to Amy, but I'm gonna take a crack at it because I mean, what the yeah. heck. Sure. For folks who maybe aren't familiar with that, what you basically do is you construct a table where the columns are each of those four elements, and then the rows are the individuals. Now, or no, excuse me, they are the they could be individuals, but they can also be mm -hmm. the tasks. And yep. so the various things that need to be done, you would show kind of which party needs to do what and whether they are participating at a higher or lower level and what their responsibilities and accountabilities are for each of those different. So an individual can go in and say, if I'm in this role, I have to do these things in this way, or I don't have to worry about these other things, but I need to be aware of them. Amy, I said that really, really badly. I thought I was smart up until about the first <laughs> 20 seconds and then take it, please. Uh, no, you did it fine. I think the, the key point though, is that there's really, there's one accountable per, per item per deliverable. And, and that's, the person who you know is is the I'll say the leader is really helping to ensure that accountability sits on them oftentimes to ensure that the work is being completed. And it's a good way for teams who are just starting out, who have been in a waterfall situation, who are going to agile, so that you have as part of your working agreement have a conversation about. So mm -hmm. this person, you know, the product owner. What are they responsible for? What are they accountable for? When are they consulted and when are they informed? And to do that with all the roles, it varies from team to team as to how that works, but it's a good way to help a team do that transition. So one of the things that we've talked about in the last of, of, uh, podcast was how do you transition someone into agility? And sometimes you just have to take a step. So it's like you, you go, okay, so this step is we walk through who's responsible. Okay, great. Now we go to who's accountable and how your uh, stakeholders could be just informed, which might be shocking to those team members, mm -hmm. right? Okay, mm -hmm. awesome. So if you had racy on your bingo chart for what we were going to talk about, you can now fill in the square. So 
I'm curious, you know, I, I think we've had a lot of conversations about how you go downstream, right? And occasionally how you go upstream. I want to, before we talk about working upstream, talking to your managers and to your leadership, if we start with the premise of the most important tool in leading a transformation is you, how do you integrate and or separate your own work from your team's work? I'm going to start this time with Robin. By looking at the racy. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I mean, no, it's not. Um, the question that comes into my mind when faced with that is, I mean, it goes back to the role is like, what am I here to provide that will be of the best value and trying to retain a sense of consciousness around when I'm over-functioning versus under-functioning. And one of the best resources for that are my friends here on the call, yourself included, Brent, and you know, the other team members. Um, I think a lot of times leaders who, I, I don't want to cast judgment as to the evolutionary state of certain of leadership and such, but it's very hard for folks to, often for folks to be truly vulnerable and, and to say, hey, I don't know, or can you help me with that? And, uh, you know, and Amy and I have been through that together. I think that's why we, we work together really well, because I've done some stupid things. And Amy said, hey, <laughs> and I've appreciated it. And I've given her feedback on that. And what's happened is through that, we've developed this, this real support and trust for each other, where I totally respect what she has to say. And I look to her for guidance on a lot of stuff that maybe I'm not aware of, or even if I think I'm aware of, I like that perspective. I would hope and my dream is that someday any members of the org that I'm part of, notice not my team, but that I'm part of, and I know Brent, yeah. you and I have had this discussion on our one-on-ones, I said, please give me your perspective to help me understand mm -hmm. if I'm over-functioning, under-functioning, what's missing. I still have to say that it's quite rare that folks have the courage to be truly open, and that's completely understandable. And I think it's influenced by what Jesse had said before around our culture and how we've been brought up. But I highly, highly value the perspective of others. I aspire to be vulnerable appropriately and then balance that with taking action decisively, even though I do have a bias at times to be a little bit more conservative and thoughtful than folks would like me to be. So it's, it's trying to weigh all of these items and trying to be as objective as possible about what's really happening. And I'm still learning that game, but if that goes well, and I'm hoping I'm getting better at it, then the folks that I'm working with feel included. I have a better sense because I've got data on what their perspectives are, which may come with some sort of bias, but it's not my bias. And I've got a better collection of information from which to modify my direction. Okay. Jesse, thoughts? I'm going to, uh, I, I like what Robin said. I'm going to add a very tactical tool that I think can be used. Um, here, which is you know management 3.0's uh, poker uh, uh, delegation or delegation poker, um, mm -hmm. because I think and I'm gonna and uh, I'm sure Brent can include a link to that and talk a little bit about the process. But basically, um, it's another way of being explicit, just like the racy, just like a working agreement around where where is that balance point between. Um, 
function or you know over functioning or under functioning and and making that explicit uh, and that can change over time of course too so uh i'm going to start with a tactical tool but then uh and and a suggestion but i think i think you know it is a it's another one of these areas where where leaders have to probe and sense and and that starts with to i think robin's point uh, a bit about trust and vulnerability and understanding the right sort of uh, psychological safety that's required and and sort of the the cultural aspects um and you know another thing that comes to mind is is the laconi's you know five dysfunctions like you know, where are we on that scale so it, it, to me, it's almost more of a question, not as a functional question, but more of a uh, of a behavioral interaction type of question, and then being explicit and sort of figuring out where that balance point is, because it's not going to be the same for everybody, and context matters in this for sure. Right. Amy? Yeah, uh, just, I don't want to say ditto, but, um, <laughs> but I'll say it's a yes, and, you know, as when we're speaking, if we're speaking specifically of going through a sort of a transfer, some sort of a transformation and differentiating my role as a leader from the activities that my team may be um, engaging in. I often, um, I'm going to go back to what I said in the beginning around the balcony view. And um, for those who have read Adaptive Leadership, they'll know what that means. I would strongly suggest anybody who's got the opportunity, and I've got the Harvard Business Review short version of it, but um, adaptive leadership all is about servant leadership, but as a leader, you're you're up on the balcony, and um, I've often used the example with other leaders in, in similar conversations that it's also like the orchestra conductor, and you're helping to bring people in as needed and when it's relevant to them, and the timing is right, not to overwhelm them at once. So when I think about my role in a transformation, I'm on the balcony or I'm that conductor and I'm helping my team members understand when it's their time to come and go throughout that transformation, what their activities might be, either because the transformation is impacting them specifically, like when we think about a transformation of an organizational change, that's a transformation that we all have to go through, or we're transforming someone else and what's appropriate for us and for them to hit with teams at different points in time. And I often think of myself in those either situations in that um, conductor or, or balcony view, I can kind of see what's happening above and my work is to help orchestrate. It's not to be in the midst of it, but it's there to help orchestrate and answer questions of my team members along that journey to help them. Okay. So I, I, I'm curious as to if we talk about working with yourself, do you ever find that it gets in the way? Like your own work gets in the way of you working with others? Can you clarify more what you mean by your work? Well, so, make... right. So, you know, we, we start with the premise that the most important tool in leading a transformation is you. And so the assumption in that is that you have your own flaws, you have your own places that you're trying to improve as a leader or as a person. And so I, I think the question tends in my head tends to tip a little bit towards how does your own self work 
does it get in the way or does it actually help you in when you're working with someone else? You know, Teresa and I were talking about this the other day. She's got a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> and for, for those who are listening to this as opposed to watching, <laughs> Teresa just joined, just rejoined after her meeting, which of course now I'm going to be curious about because it involves something I'm working on. So I'm not going to ask until later. It's a different podcast. Restate yeah. the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Just so, joking. No, so the, the conversation was, uh, if we start with the premise of the most important tool in leading a transformation is you, how do you integrate and or separate your own work from your team's work? And everybody else has had a little spiel on it and your timing is perfect because now it's you. Just Ooh, pretend uh... you're starting. <laughs> So a couple of things. One, um, I try to keep the, as much of the noise out of the team as I can. So where there's a lot of churn and ambiguousness out of the organization, trying to filter through that and protect the team from that as much as I can so that there's clear focus on the team. And when there's not being very clear with the team that it's a work in progress. So I try not to pull any punches and wear rose colored glasses with the team, but being very honest. Um, secondarily, I would say asking for help is something that I continue to work on myself. Um, I tend to probably take on more than I should and have an opportunity and probably a lot of leaders have the opportunity to ask the team where they where they can help mm -hmm. versus trying to take on the workload yeah, as a leader. And I would say as an individual contributor, <laughs> there is nothing wrong with asking your leaders, when do you need help? Mm -hmm. Right? Oh yeah. My team asks me constantly, what can we do to help? Right. Wait, maybe I think about that. And sometimes in, in the midst of a transformation, it's messy, right? I mean, right. You, and Brent, you and I, Brent, have had this conversation multiple times when you're like, yes, we have. how can I help? And I'm like, I don't even know yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. As soon as I know, I will let you know. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I but think... Being able to I, have that honest conversation, I think, helps build trust in the team, right? Which gets absolutely. to that point we put a parking lot or a pin in is around that authentic authority. I don't sugarcoat things with the team. I'm very honest with the team. And I hope that that instills a sense of trust in me, that I'm not just going to be telling you whatever I need to tell you to string you along, but being very real with you about the context of the organization. I think that's a lot, that's something a lot of leaders don't feel they can be that vulnerable with the team. They feel they sure. need to be the authority, right? And have all of the answers. When the reality is we're all human and we don't have all the answers. Right. Yeah. Well, I will say as an IC, I find myself when whenever I have a new manager or new leadership, my conversation, I think it's best for me to be transparent. And it's like my job is to help this team be successful. However, I can have you help me help that, great, right? I think I think it's it's a two-way street. I think ICs need to be transparent in what they what they need and what they want. Mm -hmm. And that leadership needs to be transparent in what they need and what they want. 
from from their ICs, from their team, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, before we go to authentic versus assumed authority, there is one other thing I want to make sure that we cover, and we teased it up kind of with the last question is, so we've talked a lot about how you lead downstream with your team. How do you work upstream within your management structure? How does all of the stuff that we've talked about, how does that help you manage uphill as much as it does downhill? This time I'm gonna start with Jesse. In some ways it's similar, but back to the influencing, uh, the influencing upward trust and being able to make those connections, I think are, are uh, have to be in place. So how do you, I think the question is, how do you end up creating those mm -hmm. um, and the sort of the step of bridgehead to have those, those uh, tough discussions. Um, and sometimes it's easier than others, but I find that you know, working together on tough projects and being transparent and um, putting outcomes over 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 everything else are, are things that can be used to, to start those uh, conversations. Um, so, you know, just with anything, people, interactions, trust, mm -hmm. uh, and working together towards the headline goal. So you know, you're saying individual Easier said than done. <laughs> right on. I've heard that before. I, 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 right on. Amy? Yeah, I, well, I think um, vulnerability um, is, is huge in um, being, I know we're gonna talk about authenticity, but being authentic um, with my leader uh, has been super helpful. Um, we've, we quickly developed a trust early on based on delivery. I think that was a big one for, for me was you know delivering on expectations and helping to, um, you know, take an assumed position um, that that helped to to not only demonstrate capabilities, but also to help kind of bring others along. Um, I think my journey managing upward is um, tr building trust, delivery, being vulnerable, being candid. I mean, you guys know me; I don't have much of a filter. Um, and but I and, and yes, I don't have much of a filter, but I word choices matter, even when you don't have a filter. And I think that that's part of building that trust and, and building that vulnerability and authenticity. Um, and, I, and I've used that um, in my career, working with various leaders. I mean, I, I can think of give you many examples where um, the candid authenticity came out in moments of time that um, could have been significant deal breakers, um, but turned into significant wins, not necessarily for me specifically, but for organizations. And um, so um, taking those moments and, and when they happen, grasping them and having trust in yourself and um, the trust in the people that are around you, um, you know, going for it and demonstrating that you're not afraid um, of taking those moments as well. Okay. Teresa? I'll build on what Jesse said about this being very similar, uh, managing up in that this is 
at the end of the day, regardless as to what discipline you're in, what industry you're in, it's all about people. Mm -hmm. I think being self-aware of your learning style, your communication styles, and then being sensitive to those around you and listening for what it is that they need can really help to influence decisions up the chain. Mm -hmm. Very similar to working with any executive, whether they are your direct manager leader, or they're just a leader of an organization, listening for who they are, what they need in order to move forward. And honestly, asking coaching questions at times can be amazingly powerful where you're not telling them what they need to do next, but guiding them in that journey. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, it's all about people and meeting them where they're at. Okay. Robin. Yeah, two words that come to mind when you first ask the question and, and everyone's spoken to them. And one of those words is relationships. And the other word is courage. And it obviously takes courage to talk to someone who organizationally reports up to you about a difficult thing. And all of us who've been in that role, it, it's a tough thing. I mean, if you have any heart at all and you need to have a, I won't call it a difficult conversation, but a challenging conversation with someone that, that if, if you really are that type of person that cares about folks and thinks about the words to Amy's point that you want to choose, that's something that, that you feel welling up a little bit and you have to have the courage to move through with that. I think you notch it up a couple of factors when you're going up because that's something that can come back directly down on you. And you have to have the courage to have the thoughts put together that effectively communicate what you're trying to say. I'd like to also add in a slight uh different lens on the notion of servant leadership. And we've been sort of talking around this from the perspective of a organizational servant leader. There's also what I would propose as a, uh, a thought servant leader. And all of us here on this call have relationships and uh, continue to build relationships with individuals to whom we have no organizational relationship unless you go way, 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 way up. And as you're trying to influence the behavior to Teresa's point around coaching questions and how you engage with those individuals, you really are representing yourself as a thought leader around the discipline that you have proficiency in. And as we're looking to transform organizations, you need to think about how can I not only communicate within my organization up the things that are needed and, and debate and discuss the priorities of the same, but also outside your organization, within your company organization, how do you influence and have those discussions that will, again, position you as that authentic leader around thought and practices so that folks will want to engage with you and, and build that relationship. But back to the operational uh, perspective, it really is around um, testing those boundaries all the time and building that relationship with those leaders that you report up through such that when the time comes you've to have a difficult discussion, you've built the credibility already that your words are true. And so that, that establishing that credibility through the relationship opens up the door for those more difficult things and makes those possible. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mad one, one, one. That's it's making me think of one more thing too. Is you? I think we've all also experienced when when talking and trying to persuade uh, people higher in the in the organizational hierarchy. Um, 
we've all experienced our set of failures in trying to persuade or convince at a certain point too. So I think also how you handle those and how you persist, because if you're, if you're truly convinced in your ideas, um, you know, that, that is also a skill that becomes honed over, over time. Um, so I would, I would add that for, for those that are, that are, you know, have a great idea, pitch the idea that doesn't get accepted on the first try, you know, try, try again. Yeah, Keep pitching. Kind of builds on that idea of the <clears throat> self-awareness, taking the time to reflect on, wow, that really didn't land. Mm-hmm. What did I not do in that conversation, especially if you're really convinced that you're, you're pitching the right idea, right? Mm-hmm. What did I not do? And reflecting on that to improve upon it the next time. And, and I would add, um, not being afraid to ask, you know, I, I have pitched ideas and it's come back that we're not going to go that direction. And I, and I've reached out to that leader and said, can you help me understand? And, and I'm, I'm okay with the decision, but help me understand because I am trying to grow and develop. And, you know, and that helps like Robin was saying, building those relationships. Well, we've also building those relationships and building trust you know, throughout your career, not being afraid to ask why and can you help me understand so that I can continue to grow and develop? Excellent. So I think we've exhausted this topic for now. Wait for the next iteration where we're going to discuss the myths of leadership. So wait for that one. Until that next iteration, I'm Brent. And Jesse. And Teresa. And Amy. And Robin. Until the next iteration, you can give us a five-star rating at your local podcast provider. Shoot us an email at info at fasterthanastandup.com, or you can find us on Twitter at Faster Standup. Thanks for listening, and that was Faster Than a Standup. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.